Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Michael Jacobs. We believe today's message will help you walk in faith and have victory now. Hallelujah. I've been excited about this for a long time, and I think it'll kind of be more of a conglomeration of revelation than just, I'm going to talk about the ministry of the prophet, of course. That was what my goal was. And I'll add in some other things, I'm sure, through the week, and we'll do some different things. I I always say on the road, and I think I say it here if I have a longer meeting, that every service will be different. You know, I'm just, uh, and I broke out of that a long time ago. It took 20 years to break out of it, I think, for me. I was just a rutted person. What I was doing was not evil. It was good, but there was other things missing that I didn't partake of because I was hemmed in by that in my thinking. Anyway, praise God. I know you're listening to me. So uh, I want us to go first of all um, to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1. And I'm going to tell some stories along this way too as we begin to share this. Now, you know, my wife went home a year ago, a little, a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, I sure miss her, but we're going to go on. Like Pastor Nancy said one time when Dad went home, God told her, well, just because he went home didn't uh, take you out of your calling. In other words, you still got the same amount of responsibility or probably more now. That would be how I would think typically. Uh, what a great teacher she is, and she's got prophetic things in her too. But anyway, I'm not going down that trail. Uh, but I wanted to mention this. 1975, I lived on a farm in Xenia, Ohio. And uh, my wife was in the kitchen fixing something. The Lord told me to come in the bedroom. I, we just had a thing you pulled across the door. There's no door in that house, right? Like that, going into another room. It's a 150-year-old house. You don't think it was a mansion. It was just an old house. <laughs> yeah, all right. So I went in there, and the Lord said to me, read Jeremiah, the first chapter, Michael. Now, I knew Jeremiah was in the Bible. I'd heard people talk about him. But I'd never read it. I just saved, um, I got saved in 71, so that was four years later. And I didn't have, I didn't have time. I was working a full-time job construction. Sometimes I worked further away from home than I wanted uh, because that was the job provided for me. I was a carpenter. And uh, anyway, I, I, he said, I want you to start in verse 4 and read down through there. So I started at verse 4, but I'll tell you what happened. Well, let me just read it to you, and then we'll talk about it in a minute, about the prophet. And see, you know, I didn't understand that God was talking to me about that part of it, but he said, read, read verses 4 through 12. And I read it, and I got something different out of it altogether. But as I grew in the Lord, I started realizing this was, the whole thing was for me. I don't know if you can understand that. You know, you can only receive what God quickens to you. I don't care who you are. You can pray a lot, and that helps, but it doesn't do it all. You just got to be perceptive. See, that's another area where people can know their Bible and still not get it. It takes leading of the Holy Ghost to get you where you need to be and keep you where you should be. And staying out of all the other things, not that everything's evil. It's just you don't have time for it anymore. I don't, I don't have time to do everything I used to do because I'm getting older. You know that, don't you? I'm not old yet, but I'm getting older. And so I just can't do everything I want and keep the schedule that I have now. I, I just can't do that. So I'm building in some rest days right now for next year for me. And I'm taking all of December off, so don't call and ask for a meeting. We're not going to do that. All right. Not worried. I'm not wore out. I'm good. I'm healed and healthy. Uh, Jeremiah 1, let's begin in verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, 
Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Now think about that a minute. Before you even came forth out of your mother's womb, he knew you. And before thou came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee or set you apart for something. And in his case, he said, I set you apart and I ordained you. And by the way, we're going to have ordination here for three people on Wednesday night. You wouldn't want to miss it. He said, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, I'd never been out of, I, oh, I went, lived in Zeno, Ohio. That's probably 12 miles from Fairborn. That's where I grew up, Fairborn, Ohio. And the first vision I had was in Springfield when I was five years old. I've told that before. I may tell a little bit about the visions this week, too. And so I never thought about a nation. I just thought about, you know, working at the cement plant until I died and went to heaven. Just being honest. See, some people, they just never dream. And now I'm just dreaming all the time. I'm dreaming way beyond what I, I thought I could do. Because the word put it in me after a long period. I said, why be limited to just believe for that? Why don't I just believe for that? Same amount of energy to believe for that as it was that, if you have the faith for it. All right. Praise God. I remember, I remember one time, I'm, not these shoes, but I had a pair of shoes I believed for for six months to have the faith to buy them. They were $29.99 Tom McCann shoes. Brother, there weren't anything to write home about. But they were new. And I had a hole in my, you know, underneath that one shoe, and I had to put some kind of, um, you know, cardboard in there to not get my feet wet if it rained. I'm just telling a story here, and maybe, uh, let me think here, that would have been, before I went to seminary, I think, no, I was in seminary, I think, when that happened or something, but anyway, that's been a long time ago, maybe 40 years, and you add about 30 to that, and I bought an airplane that cost $275,000, same man, same faith, my faith had grown, that's all I'm saying, and I just learned that, that my faith can grow even if people don't recognize it, and I recognize it. And start doing different things than I ever did because I had faith to do that. And God spoke to me to do certain things. Sometimes you try to do things he didn't tell you to do and you're kind of a failure. And then you're frustrated at God. You're mad at him half and half at yourself. And We're not striving to be anything. We're walking in what we have. That's a whole other animal than just you making up something and I'm going to do that. You're going to fail if you just do, act like that. Now, it could be a good motive. I'm not saying your motive is wrong. But, you know, just be yourself. I'm not in competition with any of these preachers. Or any other preacher on the planet. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm in covenant with them. I'm trying to help them. If they want help, if I can get it, I'll try to help them. All right, I'm just talking. But he said, I ordained you a prophet to the nation. My point was, I, didn't, I just barely believed in to get out of Fairborn, where I grew up. And moved down the, the highway a little bit, 12 miles to Xenia, Ohio. I was just a few miles from that massive tornado that killed a lot of people in the city of Xenia. I was fixing my house up. And I kept hearing sirens, and I looked out finally, and there was like 37 ambulances going, and three fire trucks going, and all kinds of vehicles like that. Anyway, let me move on. So he's saying, now I'm ordained to be a prophet to the nation, and it took me about 40 mission trips to figure that out. Maybe you had just been quicker than me. I don't know. Or maybe you'd have never got it. I don't know. Just talking to you about stuff here we need to think about a little better. So if I say things like that, that pertains to my office. I'm not trying to step on anybody's feet, but if I do, just tie it up and wear it. Because you need to understand that that's the way God operates. He doesn't ask me to do something I could do naturally. He asked me for things I've got to figure out how to do that. <laughs> and there's always money involved. Always, I know of. I had to pay money to buy this Bible. All right. Then said I, verse 6, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. For I am a child. This is what I saw that pertained to me at that moment. But the Lord said unto me, don't do that. I'm not, don't say I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. 
Now I've been on over about 115 to 120 mission trips all over the planet. And I think about this first then. But right then I had four seventh grade boys I was teaching at the Baptist church. And I was, even to get up and talk to them, it was intimidating to me. You may think that sounds funny from an ex-drug addict. But see, well, I didn't carry a gun. I wasn't doing stuff like that then or doing dope. But those, those, four, those four seventh grade boys, I was trying to help them. And they received my help. But, I mean, that was a, that's a little job compared to going all over the world, which cost about $450,000 for me to go so far that I had to have that money from somewhere. All right. He said, you just say whatever I tell you to say in verse 8, be not afraid of their faces. That's exactly what I needed to hear. I know that sounds funny for me to be shocked by four seventh grade boys, but I was just starting out. And, uh, you know, I could let you get up here for five minutes and see what you got. You might freeze up on the spot. Uh, next. Okay. All right. Did they say that stalking in front of people like this is one of the most intimidating things people can do? As then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, this day I've set thee over the nations. There's the nations coming up again. And over the kingdoms. That's the kingdoms. Different kingdoms. There's God kingdom. There's a kingdom of the devil. There's all kinds of sub-kingdoms, we might say. To root out and to pull down and to destroy. That's my deliverance ministry right here. That's that part of that. To root out. And, you know, you, you, can't, you can't play with this. If you're going to get it, you've got to root it out. I have authority when you say come out. And they, they, uh, it's never failed me yet. And I don't believe it ever will. And then he says to throw down and to build and to plant. So it isn't all negative. It's a little of both with this prophet Jeremiah. And, uh, you know, I kind of resemble him a little bit because I always seem like I'm crying. And I said to my wife after I stepped over in that prophecy, you think I'm with Jeremiah? No. I said, am I acting like him? I don't know. He's crying all the time. I know that. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And he, I said, I see the rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. I watch over my word to perform it. So you've got to keep the word in your mouth and in your heart. And here's an interesting thing. They said the almond tree, I think, uh, bloomed first. So he was able to see things that were coming when other people didn't see that. I'm telling you, there's a move of God on. We don't have it here yet. In this church, we're in some level of it. I would say we're in some level, and we're not against it. We're not. We're not fighting the Holy Ghost. I hope you're not. I'm not. And I want everything that He wants. And I believe men like uh, like Brother Hagen, and of course my spiritual father, Doctor Frank. He said it'll be all the revivals rolled into one. And I have that paper somewhere that Smith Wigglesworth said, 1939 or something. He was talking. He said the hospitals will empty out. People will be running down the street in their gowns. The doctors will be screaming, running down the sidewalks because all their patients got healed. I know that sounds so far-fetched to you, doesn't it? But you know what could happen? You know, yeah. I mean, all kinds of stuff can happen. So anyway, he's hastening his word. So there's lots of little things in here I'm seeing not for the first time, but I didn't see it in 1975. And I was in the bedroom. I walked in the kitchen where my wife was, and I went, and I started crying. That's all I could do was just point to my Bible and I started crying. She said, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I just read that and it meant something to me, but I, I'm sure there's more in it. And I was just bawling like a baby. And she didn't know what was the matter with me. I said, I finally could talk. I said, nothing matter with me. I'm reading this. I don't know why that went like that, but anyway. I'm reading this and it just touched my heart that God was talking to me. Of course, I wasn't thinking I was a prophet. I was just, I wasn't even, I hadn't even been to Bible school yet. I'm just thinking I'm just a sheep. I'm not saying that with disrespect. You know, looking back, if you're just a sheep and you've got a good church to go to, man, you've got it made. Yeah. 
You just bring your tithe and love your pastor and love your brothers and sisters, and you're in heaven, kind of. You don't even got to go anywhere across the ocean, you do like, like sometimes I do. Anyway, I'm just talking to you here. So this is kind of home base with me. That was 1975, and I don't know if I wrote that down somewhere. Uh, let me look here a minute. I think I may have wrote some other years down somewhere in this uh, material. But I remember one time, I know Donna, you'll remember it, maybe Dale would remember. We were at the, our church on Slate Run Road. We, I was having intercessory meetings in. I did that for 16 years, one night a week for 16 years. People, some of you had a chance, but you missed it. I'm not going to do that again. I mean, I'm going to pray, but not like that. And I, I remember one night, you remember this, Donna. I, I think I fell out on the floor on my belly, and then I got up, and God said, I want you to stand up and read Jeremiah 1, 4 through 12 to those intercessors and tell them, He's talking to me. So that's the first time I ever said that publicly to any group of people. That was in 19, either 1991 or 93, something like that. Then I had another date. I saw it earlier today when I was studying. I don't see it with my stuff now, but I said it again. And then Dr. Dufresne got in my life, and he saw it immediately because he, he was way ahead of me, and he was a prophet. You know, God's smart. I mean, you could be a pastor and be under a prophet, but you can't be the prophet if you're a pastor. Right. You could have some inklings of the gifts of the Spirit similar to a prophet, but if you don't have a consistency in those gifts, and I'll talk a little further about that maybe tonight. If I don't get to it, I'll say it another night. You'd have to have two gifts of revelation, Brother Hagin said, and I believe he was accurate. And the gift of prophecy, prophecy not the simple gift. You might have that too because that would be lower than the prophet speaking by the Spirit. You know, and that's another thing I found out. I'm going to talk Thursday night about what does it mean when you're connected to a prophet versus being connected to a pastor. I'm not in, I'm not in war with Jordan. I love him. I respect him. He, he's not a prophet, and I'm not a pastor anymore. I'm just stuck straight to you. So what, if I tried to fit myself into being a pastor, I'm in disobedience, and I'm in trouble with God and my own self because I don't want to take the responsibility because there's a massive responsibility of being a prophet as well as there is being a pastor. What I'm saying, get in the right slot and stay there. <laughs> I met some pastors. They said they were pastors. Then the next time I met them, they were in a Bible school somewhere in America, and they stayed there two years. Then they left there, came back and started another church, and then they left there and went on the road. They don't know what they're doing. God is not that confused. People are confused. He's not. Now, he could, he could change you from a pastor like I was, but this happened before I ever really went into ministry. 1975, I was saved four years at that time, but didn't know much about anything. And I know my pastor did the best he could do, but he didn't talk like any of us talk today, even the sheep in this place. If you're smart, you talk different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean or not? Do I need to spell it out? We're just walking with a different drummer, not just the prophet, just everybody that's thinking and really committed to Jesus. They're walking in a different realm than the average Joe and Betty. Okay. So let's see here where I want to go here. I was going to say something to you about. Okay, and so I began to say that, and doctor saw it in me at first, and when I was sitting right here, standing right here, when he came off the platform, I had steps all there, I was just like right here, and he came up and gave me a bear hug and said, let what I have go into this man. Now, see, I didn't know him that well the first time he came to our church. Something jumped in me. Something went, hmm? Like something came upon me and went down inside of me, kind of rattled my insides, kind of like that angel did when I was five. It's that anointing. Let what I have go into this man. It's kind of like a Smith Wickelsworth thing. But he, did, he didn't know me after the flesh. That's the only um, 
I think the first time he'd ever seen me in the flesh. First time, well, I'd seen him one more time before then because he was with a different group then. I went to hear him preach one day. How many understand what I'm saying? He saw that prophet and he started ministering to that. I mean, here's all my prophecies that he gave me. There's a few in here by Pastor Nancy. Most of them are from him. That's what he said over my life when he was here. And the Lord told me this a while back, several years ago. This is a blueprint for your life, Michael. Pay attention to it. So I keep reading things, and I said, well, you know, I never saw that. There's three different times in this paper he said something about creative miracles. So I'm believing for that now. You know. So anyway, I'm just talking. But let me say something here. Let me, it says, this is Brother Hagin's material. I'm, I'm going to read it to you, some of it, and then we'll look at some other verses. In fact, let's go to 1 Corinthians right now, chapter 12. Is this okay? I'm not sure what I'm doing. I know I'm preaching, but it may get chopped up a little bit. So I hope you can stay with me. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's start in verse um, 25 here. That there should be no schism or division or disunity in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, I thought about this. I don't know about you, but I think a lot. And that's good when I'm thinking right. I have to rebuke myself if I'm not thinking right. But I thought about this for a long time with Brother Michael and Elaine. And I gave him a word. I gave him a word. I don't know if she was in that meeting. I don't know. It was at Pastor Keith's church in Printwood. He was laying out. I administered to him. He fell down. I kicked him on the bottom of his shoe. I don't know if you remember that. I said, God said, tell you, back, get back where you belong in Mexico. And I see that's, you're laughing at it, but there's something to that. I don't tell people stuff like that unless I'm sure that's what God said to me. And they're going. I didn't make them go. If they didn't want to go, they could stay home. You know what I mean? God doesn't make you do stuff, but if he tells you to do it, then you need to do it or you're in disobedience. And you become a bigger target for the devil than you were before you tried to believe that. All right. So we should have the same care one for another. And where one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. You know, when my wife passed away, it was difficult for me. I'm sure you understand that. But, uh, you know, and the whole church was in that with me. They loved her, too. I think most of you loved her. I don't know about anybody who didn't like her. She was probably easier to handle than me by far. I'll give you that. That's fine. Uh, now you are, notice that, now you are, you're not going to be, you are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. I don't know if I told you this. I had a little mini vision. I may have told it in this church. I don't know. I saw a chair sitting about 20 feet from me. And, it, and listen to me, it wasn't a macabre, a macabre thing. It wasn't blood running out of the side of his head or any weirdness. I saw his head on a chair up at the throne. And I, he said to me, what's wrong with this picture? I said, where's your body? And he said, you are and all the believers in earth that believe in me. What a, what a revelation. Amen. I mean, I knew that, but him saying that to me like that to shock me. Amen. So see, I was always wondering, where exactly am I seated with him? How can we all fit in that chair? See, I'm thinking carnally. Then I knew I wasn't above him. I knew I may be below him. Could it be beside him? But that settled it for me. He just had his head in the chair, and he looked back at me. He said, what's wrong with this picture? And I said, well, where's your body? He said, you and the rest of them are my body in Christ. That's where, So we are seated with him. Do you get it? Not beside him or under or above. We're seated with him in the spirit. You have to understand that from a spiritual context. I don't watch weird movies. I don't watch The Walking Dead where people chew each other's brains and stuff. What is wrong with you people? 
You need deliverance is what you need. I'm not being it's not funny with you. I'm telling you, you need help. I heard this one lady on Good Morning America. It's about five years ago. I don't watch that anymore. I don't watch hardly any TV. Occasionally I do. And sometimes I'm sorry I watched it. Then I have to repent. I'm sorry, Father. But not often because you know, I don't watch a massive amount of TV. But this girl's on the TV, the main, main person. Well, I just love that show. I watch it as often as I can. I, what is wrong with that lady? She's educated. She can talk normal. She's halfway decent looking. But she's a nut. Who would want to live with that? Yeah. Your wife's watching gory stuff like that. Be one thing to watch, uh, you know, everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> with Marie and that group and Frank. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I'll come back to you. <laughs> now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. That's why I said that about that little vision. Now you are the body of Christ. And God has set some in the church, first apostles. See, they always list the apostles first. And secondarily, the prophets. They always list that like that. And thirdly, the teachers. This is another thing that Brother Hagin said. Brother Hagin was called to be a prophet, but he started putting the ministry of teaching before the prophetic anointing. And God uh, talked to him about it and said, you're messed up because you're not doing this right. He said, what do you mean? I've always said in the Bible, this order, the prophets and then the teachers. You're doing the teaching now. You don't hardly get over in that prophetic anointing. There's just a lot to this. I'm already explaining some things. And you can't be a prophet if you're not one. You're going to mess everybody up. Because you're not operating right unless you can operate in that okay. And I didn't learn it over a day or a night or a decade either. So, but he put some in the church or apostles. And not all, all of that, just some. And then teachers. And then uh, after that, miracles and gifts of healing. That's the two gifts that go with the, not only the prophet, but it goes with the evangelist, the real evangelist. And then helps, that would be the other five, not a five-fold ministry gift, but it is a gift and it's a ministry of helps to the church. You don't know, I mean, I don't know how much that my staff has done this last week or two to get ready for this. Massive stuff. If you have big meetings like Pastor Dennis does, Pastor, uh, Pastor Keith and some of the others, it's just a massive amount of help you have to have to do to pull something off, even to set the book table up back there. Yeah. I'm just talking, and I appreciate everybody's help in this meeting. I appreciate it. And then he says... Uh, helps and governments, that would be the pastor because he's the government in the local church. He's not government over a whole body of Christ. He's because in the government of that local church if he's the pastor. And diversities of tongues. Then he says, are all apostles? I say it this way, no, but some are, or that wouldn't be written that way. He's asking us a question, a rhetorical question. Are all apostles? No. Are all apostles? No. Are all teachers? No, but some are to each of those. Do all have the gifts of workers? Are all workers of miracles? No, but some of us are. You know, and I paid attention to those things that came earlier in my ministry, and I'm trying to do better at that and be more sensitive to that. I was just at a meeting at, uh, are they here tonight, Tiffany? No, they're not here tonight. Not tonight. Anyway, we did a meeting, the first meeting I ever had at Pastor Brandon's church down in uh, Bowling Green. And a guy came, called him, called the pastor and said, I'm coming to hear Dr. Jacob. He said, do you know him? He said, I don't know him. I just know about him. How do you know him? How you know about it? Well, I had some friends that came to his meeting at Pastor Randy's church, and I don't remember praying for him. I don't know. If they walked in now and said, I'm the person, I wouldn't know him. And he said, uh, there was a lady I know, and she was uh, real crippled with arthritis. He prayed for it and all left her, and she just running everywhere all over town. That's what he said to me. Then he, he had a friend that was a male guy, you know, not, you know, just a buddy. And he came, he had last stage of cancer, both his lungs, and he was given a couple months to live or something like that. And when you prayed for him, you got totally healed. 
And I didn't even know that. A guy in a wheelchair was telling me that. And I said, well, what's wrong with you? He said, I got in a motorcycle accident quite a ways back. I said, well, I'll pray for you. And I did. Now, he didn't get up then. I don't know. Maybe he will. I just don't turn my faith off. Amen. All right. So he's talking. And these things down through here, verse 30, have all the gifts of healings? No, but some do. Do all speak with tongues? Not the ministry gift of speaking with tongues and interpretation. This is talking about that level. These are ministries, verse 30, actually verse 29 and 30 are talking about you have a ministry like that. Like we had with Pastor Keith when my wife was alive. I mean, she would look at me a certain way and I knew something's coming. That meant I'm going to pray in tongues over somebody, follow me. She never said a word. She just looked at me. Okay, here we go. And, and Pastor Keith was sitting over there where Pastor Cody sat. And you may have been here that Sunday night. And I walked over to him. Diana spoke in tongues and I said, it's time for you to go. And I said, you want to take that back? You've <laughs> been wanting him to go. And God said, it's time for you to roll on. Something like that. And he knew what I meant. And then we were up here in a meeting. Diana was sitting over there. I don't know where. Maybe I was on the platform. She gave me that look. It was a good look, not a mean look. Just follow me, will you? Okay. So she went that way. I went this way. She went that and I, over here, and you were sitting, I think, right here. said, you're going to be successful as a pastor and because you're not impressed with country music and NFL stars. Something like that, you know. And you're going to start. And then I hesitated. I said, I don't know if I should say that. I said, I'm going to say it. Somebody's going to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars, fifties and hundred thousands. He called me. That was in December. We had that three-day meeting. And then in January, he woke me up. I was at Pastor Nancy's out at her meeting, and I, it was early out there in California. And he called me, and I was waking up. Yeah, he said, hey, somebody gave me 150000 wasn't it? He said, you said don't get excited, but he said I couldn't finish my hamburger. <laughs> That's what he said to me. I wouldn't have finished it either. I'd probably threw it up in the air. And went, Wah! You know, it sounds like a lot to me, but as I get older, it doesn't sound that much anymore. Just people that never have money feel like that, don't they? And I'm not throwing that at anybody as a tack. I'm just talking. But you ought to get used to being able to handle more money as you grow older and figure out what you did wrong when you were younger. And God will bless you. And I always say it this way, stay on the giving side of life. That's all I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about the reaping and the harvest. It's coming. It always follows the planting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God spoke to me clear as a bell. said, I, don't, I want you to take up your first offering in this big meeting for Michael Rabel and Elaine to help him move. So I have to buy a car down there. You know, you ever thought of that? You don't want to ride a bicycle in Mexico, do you? I don't think you want to ride a bicycle up here, some of you. But anyway, still. <laughs> anyway. All right. So we're talking about, but the apostle came first. Let's go to Ephesians a minute, Ephesians 4. All right. I've been going a little bit, but I've still got some time. I'm going to work with this a little bit. Let's go here to Ephesians 4. And verse 8. Now remember what I'm teaching you about the ministry of the prophet trying to. But everybody's special to God. Yeah. You need to realize that everybody is special to God. He doesn't, like, I know Jesse Duplant, he said he's God's favorite. But I heard my dad say that too, Dr. Duhring. And I think I'm going to start saying it. <laughs> I'm God's favorite. But really we're all equal in that sense that God loves all of us unconditionally. His mercies are new every morning. His, I think about this scripture, his loving kindness and tender mercy. Oh, my God, that makes me want to cry. Yeah. Loving kindness. Think about that. Somebody loves you, and they're kind about it. Yeah. 
and then they have tender mercies upon you. Oh, my goodness. And goodness and mercy follows me all the day of my life. It's just wonderful that he loves us this much. But here in verse 8, Ephesians 4 and 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The Greek says he gave gifts unto people. So don't think that's just talking about the male portion. So you could be, and I, I don't have time now, Romans 16 says there was an apostle uh, that, of Junia, was her name's in the feminine, and she was not only an apostle, she was of note among the apostles, so she was kind of really looked up to, she was. And then it talks about uh, ministry of deacons in that same chapter, Romans 16, 1 through 7. It talks about Aquila and Pers no, Priscilla and Aquila, they always put the first one that's the most dominant in her, and his wife was more dominant than him. She was a pastor. So we had a pastor, an apostle, and a deacon, all in one, about seven verses. So God's not prejudiced. He don't check your gender out before he anoints you. Mm -hmm. I had an argument in the hallway up there one day with a guy who used to go here, and he said, I don't like women preachers. I said, I can't believe you've been with me this long. You need to just leave the church. I asked him, I said, so if you had leukemia and I brought in a woman to preach, and she said, if you have leukemia, get up here. You'd rather sit on your bohunkus and die? You'd rather just go on and die? They'd let her minister to you? Yeah. I said, you don't have any sense at all. I don't know what's wrong with you, but you're in the wrong church. I've taught you better than that. You... And he left eventually. You know, he found some lady and ran off. So whatever. Not from us, but I don't know who she was. Anyway. He laid captivity captive, that's talking about the enemy, and gave gifts unto men in verse 11. And he gave some, of course it says some, just like it did in 1 Corinthians, some apostles, again first, and prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. This is why he gave those ministry gifts. For the perfecting of the maturing, a better word there is maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for them to do their part in the ministry, for the edifying or building up, that's all that word means. Edifying means build up of the body of Christ or the body of the anointed one. Remember, he said, My, what, your body is in there. I said to him, where's your body? He said, you are in all the believers. Till we all come in the unity of faith. So faith must be very vital to us. And we come, all of us come into the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, that would be Jesus, unto a mature person. Under the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ or the fullness of the anointing. That's what we're going. So you would need all five of these ministry gifts to get the church Mature. I know whole denominations. The one I grew up in, Baptists, they didn't believe in apostles or prophets. And the people they called evangelists, they were not. They might have been exhorters. They may have had a little more spizzerinkdom in them. You know what that is? Screaming and hollering. But they were, they, there was no miracles or no gifts of healings with them. So if you don't have that, you're not that. You know, if you call for a plumber and, a, and, and an electrician shows up, you know you dialed the wrong number. Don't you? Yeah. He's not going to fix your toilet. He just does electrical stuff. So this same for all these gifts. And some people can go in and out of some things periodically, like Mike Rabel. He just went and pastored people for 10 years. And he tried to be the best pastor he could be. But you know, I'm going to tell you, the church is going to get judged when we get to heaven, how you treated your men of God, or your woman of God, or whoever you had that was a leader. And that's not a nice thing to have to tell you, but it's going to be that way. So anyway, we see again these fivefold ministry. The reason I'm talking about it this way, some pastors are, they think we're all goofy if we say we're a prophet. And we're not. We just know something other people don't know. And I don't know it because I'm smart. I don't know it because I read my Bible. I certainly don't know it because I don't read my Bible. But it's not because I read my Bible. It's I have an anointing along that line. And sometimes I know a lot of things I don't ever tell anybody unless it's necessary. All right, because he's either warning me to help somebody or talking to me how to get help to them. 
Or sometimes he said, leave it alone. I said, okay. I work for you, so if you say leave it alone, I'm going to leave it. All right. So, and then uh, this is just the first paragraph all I'm on so far. It's 31 minutes I've been preaching, so hold on to everything here. I'm going to get some. He said in this here in 59, the Lord Jesus appeared to me and spoke to me for one and one half hours about the ministry of the prophet. That vision took in some detail in my book, I believe, in vision. I think that's when he, he didn't break his elbow, but he sprained it or something, tore all the ligaments, and they stretched them. And they, you know, he said you wouldn't be able, when you get to the hospital, said you wouldn't be able to uh, take it to pain level. We're going to have to put some narcotics in you and straighten that out, and then you're going to have to be in a sling for X amount of weight. He heard somebody coming down the hospital hall, and it, Jesus opened the door and came in. Well, that'd be a surprise. When he thought the nurse was coming. <laughs> And he sat by his bedside for an hour and a half. Evidently, the nurses didn't get back to him. He didn't need attention. Maybe he didn't bring his buzzer. And Doc, Jesus sitting there with him, talking to him about these different gifts. Like I said to you, he said, you're putting, you're putting teaching before prophets. And you're, it goes this way, apostles, prophets, teachers. Or in the, the Ephesian one, it said uh, evangelists is listed third, I think, in this one. But the apostle and prophet, they were always one and two. I'm just talking to you. And, he, and you, know, you might say, well, why would he be picking about that. He's picky about everything. If you listen to him, he doesn't, he ever just picks on me to just for fun. He's not a fighter. He already did all the fighting he's going to do and he won. Yeah, he led captivity captive. So, but what I'm saying is you see, I like to say it this way. Dad said it this way. He cares about your anointing, whatever you are. If you're just a sheep. You know, I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I'm still a sheep. But I have more responsibility than average sheep because I have a ministry gift, and I'm responsible for that. See to it that I make sure I do my part. Amen. It doesn't just all fall on me or something, but I have to be a prayer person. I have to be in the spirit. And he said, the Lord appeared to me in 87 and spoke to me about the ministry gifts, uh, notably the office of apostle and prophet. That's what we read. And he has it written out here, what I just read you. And then he says, are there prophets today? Some would tell us that the office of the prophet has been done away with. They did in my church. There's no such thing. Healing done away when the last apostle died. And there sits one right there. And let me say this. It wasn't the apostle that mattered. It was the Holy Ghost. He didn't die. He's the one that anoints you to be an apostle. Or a prophet or a pastor or a combination of pastor and teacher. Or some pastors, maybe they're not as good teachers as others. That's all right. As long as they love the sheep. Wouldn't you rather have, I mean, you could be taught by somebody that reads your Bible and has a heart for you, but some people are just strongly anointed to be a teacher, and they just get up and say all kinds of things. You go, where did they get that? And then they show you, you go, well, it was all there at the time. At the time, I didn't see it. Okay, but then what Brother Hagin said and my spiritual father said, what's God doing right now? He's building strong word and spirit churches, not strong, just word churches. You've got to have the word, that's true, but you've got to have the spirit with it. I'm just talking. That's important. It should be to all of us. Not that we're all running every day. And, you know, they say hanging off the chandeliers. We don't even have any. We've got these track lights. But we're not going to run a rope around and let you swing around or something, okay? <laughs> so he says, some would tell us also the prophets been done away, that there were prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and there are none today. There's no scriptural evidence for that. This Brother Hagin talking. I'm just getting just a couple of things that I think are important. Some say the only ministries we have today are evangelists, pastors, or teachers. I think I already told you that the Baptists, that's what they believe. The Word of God makes no distinction. Now, there might be an edgy Baptist that believes something, <laughs> an edgy Methodist, 
And really the Episcopalians, I think some of them are ahead of us. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but, and the Catholics for sure, because they believe in miracles. Yeah. It seems to me that list, the list here, he's listing all the fivefold, stands or falls together. Either you have them all five or none. And he put them in here to perfect the church or mature. He should use that word, mature the church. You can't never get mature just through those other three gifts. That's what he's telling us. Now, you don't have to. Have, now, here's another thing the body of Christ got off in. It, it distracted a lot of people and messed up a lot of churches. You've got to have a resident apostle, a resident prophet. That's not, I don't find any scripture for that anywhere in the Bible. If you find it, you could send me a little letter. I, didn't, I never heard that before. And when Jesus was in the earth, he was all five at one, in one, because he's the only body of Christ that was available in that time. Yeah. Okay, because he was the anointed one. Yeah. And you have to have the anointing to stand in any of these offices. And, of course, that anointing can, what am I saying, can be expanded. It can become more stronger. I remember Dr. Frank said something, I think, to me, too. And himself, he said, Lord, God told him you're going to start out at 15%, but then it's going to move up. And then later in life, he said something to him about me, about 35%, not that I was better than him, just in a certain area that I would grow in and then to get more as you pay attention and become skillful. See, sometimes there's things you can say, but I'd maybe say you don't say that to this group because they, you don't mess them up instead of help them because they get mad you say that. And sometimes I will say things to get people angry, but I'm not intentionally getting people angry. Just talking for him. And, you know, you, and I, ju I judge myself on that. I don't know about you. I'm quick to judge myself. Am I aligned that I need to repent? But if it's just the anointing script ramping up a boldness to me, then I need to accept that and not pull back from it if it's something that needs to be said with some force. All right. Uh, he said, and then he says, are all the saints perfected yet? And the answer would be no. Is there any work, uh, work of the ministry going on today? Does the body of Christ need edifying? Yes then all these ministry gifts should be in operation. These ministry gifts will be necessary until Jesus comes for his church. I want to read this little part, and then I'll branch off here for a minute if I, if I can do that. Let me find this other material here. I had some other material that I think would help us. So he says, what constitutes the office of a prophet? This is important. This is how I believe, too. But this Brother Hagin's little book that I, I read, he says, com co commending, commenting on what the New Testament Greek says concerning the prophet, an outstanding Greek scholar said, he speaks from an impulse of a sudden inspiration, from the light of a sudden revelation at a given moment. So sometimes I may be doing this, and another minute I'm over there and I'm telling some story. It doesn't look like it relates, but it did because God told me to say that. And sometimes different people are sitting there that you didn't know anything about what that's going on internally, and we're hitting it, you know, where they say, well, that's me. Either, either they make adjustment with what I just said, or maybe I would say, well, get up here. I'm going to pray for you. And then they get up and respond in a more fully uh, deal. He said, uh, he's still talking about the prophet here. The idea of speaking from sudden revelation seems here to be fundamental as relating either to future events or the mind of the spirit in general. So it could be about the future if it's, I would call it a word of wisdom out of a prophet. And I get that sometimes. I remember I gave you that prophecy. Where are you at, Dale Tillett? Are you around here? Yeah, remember that prophecy we gave in 1995? We were going from the chair to the pulpit. I, I still have a copy of it. And it's all about our church, this church. The ministry here would change. The music would change. Just about everything I said, God said it's going to change. It took us about 20 years, but we already got, that was in 1995. I was, left my chair on the, pro, the pulpit to walk to the pulpit. It took me about eight seconds. When I hit the pulpit, I started prophesying. It was about a page. 
You remember Crystal, she's nodding at me. Maybe some of the others were here during that time. So that meant if we didn't want to change, we're, we either leave the church because we don't like it no more because we changed something. We need to get more mature than that. You know, and in a natural, if somebody is uh, got something wrong with them, you would want them to improve. Want them to improve. I was looking at that little video. James, you know this. I think I know you do, Dennis, about... Uh, well, is she here, her and her husband, uh, Katie and Joe? Are they here yet? Tonight. tonight? They're oh, they're flying tonight. Uh, she has a sister that's got a little boy named Nixon. And they told me, Katie and Joe, they, they work for Dennis Hannibal there. They're on the praise team. He is, and she's a school teacher, I think. And they have this little uh, kid. I think he's seven or eight now, maybe, or something like that. Is that anywhere in the ballpark? And... So they said they brought him to me, and me and you laid hands on him, Dennis, in your office. I don't remember that event, but Katie later sent me, or maybe it was Joe, the video. I, I showed it to, uh, who was I with today? I showed that to. Sean, where are you at? I showed you that video, that boy, he said he'd never walked forward in his life, and he struggled. He had a helmet on because he didn't want to get hit in the head. Uh, and he had something missing from his brain, I think is what to deal with. We saw him get up on his back feet. He fell down a couple times, but he kept getting up, and finally he was taking some steps. Wasn't he, Sean? You saw it. I just believe you've seen more of that and more completeness than all the ones that we've already released our faith for. Yeah. Wouldn't it be something he just walked in tonight with the parent, you know, his, his relatives and said, I'd like to say something. Go ahead. <laughs> you know. Yeah, anyway. Praise the Lord. We need these things. We need, we need to believe for a supernatural thing. Uh, he says a prophet speaks by direct divine inspiration and immediate revelation, not something he thought of, but something given at the spur of the moment by sudden inspiration. And that, that you have to learn to do that. And it, I'm learning more all the time about it. And then to stand in the office, one is first of all a minister of the gospel, separated and called to the ministry with the calling of God upon his life. The prophet is a ministry gift. I'm going to read a couple more things here, and then we might look at something else quickly. A prophet is, first of all, a preacher or a teacher of the word. And what I find is it's just uncanny to me that a lot of people think they're that. And I wasn't here when it, somebody showed up, a man. He said he was a prophet. He told some of my people, I'll straighten out that church, tell Dr. Jacobs when he comes home, I'll come over. I've never heard from him. I'm glad I didn't. I would have told him a few things. Just to walk into my church and be a big shot, and nobody even knows who you are. You don't know me. I don't know you. What are you thinking? The Bible says I ought to know those that are among us that are preachers or something. I didn't know this guy. It didn't mean anything to me. I'm not mad at him, but he's out of line. That's what I'm saying. You don't do that. Uh, there are no prophets among what we call the laity because a prophet is one who's called a full-time ministry. A layman may prophesy, but you're not a prophet just because you prophesy. I think that's a misconception that people get because I prophesied once or twice in a public service then I'm a, I'm a prophet. That doesn't mean you're a prophet because you prophesied once or twice. You could even prophesy regularly. And in your prayer life at home, personally, you ought to be doing that all, always. You should have been doing that 10, 20 years ago. I do that sometimes, or I pray in tongues and I interpret what I said based on 1 Corinthians 14. Not every time, but many times. Or it'll hold on that, and I say, you know, I'm listening, Father, if you want to say something. And if he doesn't say something, let's put it on the shelf, and maybe two days later, three, I'm driving a car down somewhere. He says, I wanted to talk to you about what I said to you Tuesday. Okay, go ahead, I'm listening. And he'll tell me what I was saying in the spirit. I didn't get it perceived yet. Am I making sure you're listening to me? I'm making you're here listening. Paul encouraged the entire church at Corinth to covet to prophesy. See, it should have been more common among us. 
It's kind of like that verse I've shared with you many times, you know, the unlearned. They didn't even know what was happening in the service. It didn't matter that you did it or didn't. They're not listening. They're not understanding that. They should have. They should have paid attention and started learning. This must be what's trying to happen here. Not everybody get behind the mic and try to prophesy. That's not what I'm teaching. That's silliness. But I'm just talking to you. It's helpful. I'm hoping it's helping you. And so um, then he gives the definition of what the simple gift of prophecy is. He that prophesies, this is just general prophecy, speaks unto men to edify them or build them up and to exhort them, encourage them to go a certain way and to bring comfort to them. Yet the answer to the question, are all prophets, is obviously no. 1 Corinthians 12, 29. I just read it a minute ago. Distinguish between prophesying and the gift of the prophet. That's what he's saying here. Okay, let's see if I want to. Okay, here's what he says. And I'm going to call this conclusion, and I may talk about something else for just a minute. To stand in the office of a prophet, you might say, well, you have to read it all. Well, I'm trying to read it to not miss the context. And he's just smarter than me. And he was in this almost 70 years. And I've just been in ministry 45. I think he's got it on me. But he's a very unusual person, Dr. Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen. To stand in the office of a prophet, one must have a more consistent manifestation of at least two of the revelation gifts. And he mentions all three of them. The word of wisdom, which normally what you should do in a certain situation and a lot of times concerning the future of an individual or a church or a nation or depends on what level you're at. And also uh, the word of knowledge, which is probably the most thing that I operate in mostly, or discerning of spirits and operate that too, plus prophecy. So it had to be two of the three revelation gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is something present tense that you didn't know in your head. You didn't, somebody didn't tell you about that person. And you just start talking and then people respond. Well, How did you know that? I think, Pastor Keith, you were with me at the general's when I preached that night in Paco's house. And that lady put her finger up like that. I, I said, what, what does this mean? Because I was preaching. She, and she had her hand up like this. I said, what does that mean? How did you know that? I said, I'm a prophet. I knew that. What, what do you mean? I'm not a witch. Yeah. And I grabbed her finger and put it down. She shot it right back up. I said, well, maybe she likes it up here. I don't know. Get it. <laughs> My word was, there's somebody here that's had a long-standing problem with your neck. I'd say pretty long period of time. I don't know exact numbers, but it's long. And she finally said, that's me. What'd you do? She said, I fell off my bike and hit the curb with my neck, and it never's been normal. I said, wouldn't you fall off? I think she told me, um, mm -hmm, six years old. And I said, well, I normally wouldn't ask you that, but I've already got myself in this, so how old are you? I'm 42 or 41. I said, so you've had this neck pain for 35 or 36 years? Yes, sir. Would you allow me to lay my hands on you? God will heal you if you do. If you don't, I won't touch you. Yeah, I'd like it. I laid hands on her, and he healed her right before us all, didn't he? Remember that lady? Had her, she was married to a doctor. She spoke good English. I could talk to her easily. Anyway, how did I know that? I just saw it in the spirit. I saw somebody hurt their neck, and it wasn't healed yet, and it had been there a long time. And then, you know, this is a, the day I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe I'll tell this and shut up and whatever, do whatever else I need to do. I, the day I got filled with the Spirit in my home, it was early in the morning, about 7 o'clock. Diana hadn't gotten up yet, and I was back in this back bedroom in our little apartment when I was in seminary. I got on my knees. I was reading, um, what's his name? Dennis Bennett's book. He's Episcopalian. I'm, a, I'm at a Baptist seminary. I'm reading Episcopalian's book. I'm already out there, aren't I? <laughs> and I read about six pages the night before before I went to bed, and I already saw something. I said, Man, he's smart. He's spiritual, too. 
And I didn't know much about him. I found out later he was a powerful, powerful, him and his wife. Uh, I don't know what his wife's name was, but anyway, he had this book about the Holy Ghost and the gifts and the speaking in tongues. And I said, he made perfect sense to me. I understand what he's saying. But he's well educated over me. But he made it simple. And so I got up early the next morning. And I knelt down by that little day bed we had. And I got his book out. I read about two more pages. I said, Father, I'm ready to receive it. And I just got on my knees by myself. My wife wasn't there. The Holy Ghost was there. The angels were there that went with me. But anyway, I'm in, on, on my knees. And I said something weird. I never talked like that before. I don't care who it takes me to or separates me from. Boy, did it. Boy, I got separated quickly. And other people got into my life that were already spirit-filled, and they helped me a little here and a little there. But that very day, I got filled with the Holy Ghost about 7 o'clock in the morning. I'll tell you, it's kind of a funny story. My wife, you remember Diana? She was really sweet, but she was ticked at me that day <laughs> because I had a funny smile on my face. And we're driving up to the Logos bookstore in Louisville. That was a really good bookstore in its time. They had, uh, like, uh, Kenyan books, pagan books. Nobody had those kind of books around us that I knew of. So... <laughs> We're going to the bookstore up there, and we're driving. I'm driving. She's sitting. She said, what's that funny-looking smirk on you for? I said, funny-looking smirk? Yeah, you look like you're just kind of thinking something. Okay, I'll tell you. I spoke in tongues this morning. You what? <laughs> Boy, I mean, the claws came out. She grabbed the Bible in, the, in my glove compartment, threw it up on a dashboard. You show me in here, Michael Jacobs, where that's at. I said, I only got one scripture I can carry with you now, Acts 2.4. Read it. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues as, they, as, as he gave utterance. He said, well, what are we now? I said, I don't know about you, but I'm supposed to a believer. <laughs> we were in the driveway of the parking lot for 30 minutes having a brisk discussion. <laughs> True story. But anyway, later that afternoon, after the little argument, uh, I went back home and I was praying in the Holy Ghost, and the Lord showed me this little girl in my church. I'll call her Julie. I don't know if that was her real name. She's about 10 years old. She had four, the tubes you put in her ear when you have too much liquid behind it because it'll rot your eardrum if it stays in there long enough. And that had, and it rotted her eardrums on both sides. She was starting to lose her, her hearing. And so the Lord said, I'm going to heal her tomorrow. I want you to call the parents now on Saturday. Tell them you'd like to lay hands on their daughter tomorrow at church. Okay, so I called him up and said, this is Dr. Pastor Jacob. I'd like to pray for Julie in the morning. Is that okay? She's going in next Friday, right, for the major surgery. They're going to cut her head open like right here open that up and get in there. And they said, we can't guarantee anything. We're surgeons of the ear, and we'll try to repair what we can. We can't guarantee it. So she showed up. Remember, I prayed for her the last Sunday in the morning. She showed up with her parents. The nurse came out and grabbed her. This is so-and-so, Julie something. Yeah, took her back, and, and then they came back in 10 minutes with the surgeons. Two surgeons came with the nurse. I said, what happened to this girl? I said, this is a girl. We know her face, and we remembered what it looked like in there. It's all repaired. She's, not, she's totally normal, and her ears are repaired. Everything's normal, but nobody did nothing. And he called me that night. He was so mad, he almost cussed me out. I know you don't believe me, but why would I lie about that? And he said, uh, you know, I'm not coming back to your stupid church. I said, well, good. I don't need you. If you feel like that about what... I'm, and then I asked a question. Of course, I'm much more... I'd probably be much more combative today knowing what I know if you did that to me. So don't do that to me. <laughs> but, and I was trying to be as sweet as I could, but, you know, I said, are you her father or not? Well, you know I'm her father. What's that called? I said, I want to know if you're her father or not. Yes, like that. I said, you'd rather put your daughter through two surgeries on both sides of her head. They're going to cut her head open. They're going to pull that out. 
and go to work, and they couldn't even guarantee that they would do it. And it's going to cost a lot of money. Your insurance company's going to pay out the wazoo for that, I'm going to tell you right now. And God did it for nothing. I didn't heal her. He healed her. And you're mad about it. What is wrong with you? I wonder, and, I, you know, I later said that you look in a dictionary under idiot and his picture's right there. That bothered me that a man would, would be critical of God doing that for him, and he was mad at me about it. And then when the people wanted to talk to me about what they wanted to say to him, he wasn't any of it polite or nice. He wanted to show up there at the meeting. So he did, but God told me to resign in the middle of that meeting. What are you going to do now, big boy? I'm going to believe God. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I did. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was out of my denomination now. I don't got anywhere to go preach. Nobody's helping me. Nobody's sending me any money that I know of at that moment. And so I just went ahead with my bad self. <laughs> Brother Dale here, he was going to the jail in Madison with a couple other ladies, Linda, Linda Snyder and Betty Cecil. Is that her name? I got it right. And they said, they called me. I don't know who called me. that day. may have been Dale or one of the ladies. might have been Linda. She was my praise and worship leader in Otisco. We're going up to the jail. We'd like you to go with us, Pastor. I said, well, did you hear what I... Uh, I said, well, I don't know. I just resigned my church last night. Well, we didn't know that, but would you come? I said, I don't know if I'll come or not. What time are you leaving? They told me. And I got in a, a vehicle with them, and we drove to Madison, got out, went in there in jail, ministered to prisoners. And there was a guy there named Bill Walters. This guy could get anybody saved, I think. I mean, I've never seen anybody like him. He's anointed to talk to strangers. And he would just lead them on a path and get them all saved before they walked away from him. What a, what a soul winner he was. And his wife was a good teacher of the Bible. But anyway, he came to me during that night and said, I heard you left your church. I said, yeah, God told me to resign. Why don't you come to my church? Uh, I'm not the pastor. I'm just, uh, you know, preaching for him on Sunday in Otisco. You know where that's at? I said, I think I've heard of it. And so I went, and then they just kept having me back. You know, this funny thing. They called me on Sunday morning. Can you come back tonight? I said, I have to check my calendar. <laughs> I didn't have anything down. <laughs> I did that for about two weeks, and they said, can we see you in the back? I said, sure. We'd like you to be our pastor. I said, well, let me pray about it a few days. And anyway, I went there, but anyway, I'm just talking to you. You with me? Yeah. Here's something Brother Hagin said, too. This was just about healing here. He says, a healing ministry goes along with the prophet's office. That's what he said. I thought that was interesting. And so, anyway, let's see what else. I think I'm going to let that go. I'll read you one of the prophecies, though, that I... That I have that means something to me. All of them mean something to me. But this one was in Kuwait. And Dennis, you were with me. We went to Kuwait with Dad. It's a long way over there to Kuwait. And I think it cost about 8000 apiece to go that time. But I was glad we went. And Dennis went with me. And he, and he, he got me up to preach for a little bit. And I overstepped my timing. I mean, you know, he said to preach for 30 minutes to give me the mic. Well, I preached for 30 minutes, but I didn't hand him the mic. Immediately, I had something about the Holy Ghost. And he, you know, doctor was just the real deal. And I handed him the mic. He said, well, you got something, don't you? I said, yes, sir. Well, then obey God. Okay. So I, I had words for people's spines and backs. They all came. They got healed. Then he came. All of a sudden, he's right here on me. Hit me in the head and down. I fell on that Persian rug. Oh, it was something. in the sand underneath. It was so comfortable. <laughs> we were only four miles from Iraq right then. And he, he began to say, I was on the floor looking up at him, and he was standing over me. He said, as you've walked in the footsteps of the prophet and pointed to himself, because I've been with him for many, many years now, you begin to make your own footsteps as a prophet. When I read that, I get convicted, because that was 2004. I'm, that's almost 20 years ago. Yeah. I don't know how, where time went. 
The healing anointing that has come and gone in your life, you went in and out of it, has come to abide. That means when the anointing's on me to minister to the sick. But I had no idea it would be that profound what he was saying to me. And then we got on the bus, and we always let Dad get on first because he's the leader. And he went straight to the back. They had a, what do you call that, seat went all the way across. And he patted on it. When I got on, and said, come sit by me. So I went back there, and we had about a 30-minute trip back to the hotel. And this was just so precious to me. He sat by me, and he started talking to me about the prophet's ministry. I had like a 30-minute mentoring class with him just privately. He said, Michael, I know you're a teacher, but you're going to have to, you're going to still teach. You'll teach from the prophet's ministry, which is a stronger anointing than you've had up to now. And you're going to have to learn to stop when I tell you to stop. <laughs> he meant God when God tells me to stop. Well, I'm stopping. <laughs> but it was sweet, you know, to have that personal time with him. He knew, me, he knew me pretty well. He said, I know you pretty well. I said, no, I know you do. And I like that, that you know me. And you'd be willing to take some private time with me. And so that was just a, one of those trips. You know, you have to learn to be observant of people. We came down in the foyer one day, and they had a bus pulled up, and everybody didn't in that trip. There was probably 15 or 20 of us with the ladies, too, yeah. Pastor Simons and Pastor Nancy. And I don't remember who else was there. And they're all getting on the bus, and doctor's standing there. He looks like he's going to wave. So Dennis says to me, what are you going to do? I'm going to do what doctor does. Let's wait and see what he does. He's waving goodbye. I started waving goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> then I, I stepped up to him after the bus. I said, hey, Dad, you want to get a cup of coffee? There's some couches over there. We can go sit and have a cup. I'll get one of these waiters to get us a cup of coffee. Yeah, I'd like that. And we spent about two and a half hours that morning with him, didn't we? He was talking about the anointing and how it works and how you can mess it up if you're not careful. And he just we learned a lot from him. He knew a lot about it. And we were just thrilled. I'm just paying attention. If he'd have gone on the bus, I probably wouldn't have got on. I didn't really want to go shopping that day. I know I like to shop, but not there. But anyway. Yeah, so I'm just talking. Let's all stand up a minute. Thank you for joining us today. To view Dr. Jacobs' travel itinerary, order products, and more, please visit cotrin.org slash mjm.